The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. I want us just to uh, turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And just kind of just to bring everyone up to speed uh, where we have been. See, the great thing about sharing this pulpit is we have various men of God who come and who declare His truth. And because of that, we want to inform you when we are busy with a series and there's kind of a break, especially a a two-week break. So I want us just to play catch-up for two minutes that you are aware of where we were in Romans 12 Uh, where we are today and where we will be going next week. And then exciting, once part four in Romans 12 has been finalized, that means we get to start 1 John. 1 John. So I hope you've been doing your your homework. Uh, If you remember a while back, I said uh, we should all be reading through 1 John. If you haven't been doing your homework... That means you have a week to read 1 John at least five times. Okay. That, that's a half an hour a day, just FYI. Just putting it out there. Half an hour a day, get 1 John 1, 1, finish 1 John 5, and you're ready. Well, let me pray for us as we come to Romans. Um, I often say the gospel according to Paul. Lord Jesus, we come before you as we've been praying throughout the service, as we have sung in declaration, and now as we hear your word, may we be encouraged to share our lives as faithful believers in the various ways we see, particularly our passage this morning, tell us to. And as we struggle, and as refining takes place, and as Lord, we just come through the the fire, the testing fire. May we just respond with much faithfulness by holding on to your word of truth and obeying every commandment that has been given to us. So Lord, we pray for strength and clarity as we now open these verses. In your name, amen. Friends, Romans 12 from verse 13 to 15. It's the third evidence, according to this chapter, that we, which we have been dealing with. The third evidence of a faithful believer as an individual, but also in the church. Now this morning's theme is faithfully sharing with others. Faithfully sharing with others. Now this is not a platform for communism, alright? We're going to see what the gospel has to tell us about sharing. But as I just set us up for that, coming back to Romans 12 and dealing with the evidences of a faithful believer, I want to remind you, the reason we're looking at this is for your benefit. It's for my benefit. We have to be faithful to our local congregation. And we have to be faithful to our Savior in these tasks and so the the focus is on how can you be effective in serving God's people how can you be effective in serving your holy God 
And so think of it as a little circle. The circle starts with you. I've said it and I'll say it again. We pray for revival. Revival starts here. It starts with me. But this circle has to expand. But as it starts with you, Paul shows us in Romans 12 that there are personal duties you need to fulfill. And so we started with three personal duties. And that is to love without any pretense. No hypocritical love. No excuse to love one another. But to truly love and pursue one another in that love. What Paul showed us in Romans chapter 12 as well, in verse 10, was that we have to love one another with brotherly affection. Apologies. Back in verse 9, sorry. So verse 9 showed us these three qualities. Love without any pretense. Hate any evil. So anything which is sinful, despise that. And finally, to become fused with all that is good. Paul says, hold to what is good. As the circle has to now widen, our focus starts in verse 10 through 12. It shows us how we can practically serve the Christian family. We found that we must love one another, as I've just read in verse 10. Better put, be lovingly loving, right? Be lovingly loving. The second was to reach to the needs of the family through showing honor. Paul says, verse 11, do not be, oh no, verse 10b, outdo one another in showing honor. Then in verse 11, he continues, he says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. So part of faithfully serving one another is to serve the Lord. If you are not serving the Lord, you will not be serving one another. And if you are serving the Lord, but not serving those around you, dear friends, then truly you're not serving the Lord. So these are the areas we need to grow in, right? Now we come to verse 13, and I'll read it for us in a moment. From verse 13 to 15, we will learn four ways we can faithfully share our concerns, our blessings, our love, our joy, our sorrow, with our church family and to those around us as faithful believers. It's quite a mouthful, but that's the theme. So let's read it together from verse 13. Paul says the following, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now when we read our Bibles, it's easy to read these portions and just, you know, kind of keep going. Here's the thing, particularly about these words of instruction. It's like when you buy a, a ready-made meal, right? 
just the, there's just a few instructions. Just maybe three or four lines. Pour in a bowl. Add um, whatever sauce or soup comes with it. Add hot water. Stir and serve. That's it. Just straightforward. All right, I can do that. Easy enough, right? When Paul says, let's start with the first one, share to, f- to fulfill needs. Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints. So I can do that. The question is, are you doing that? Are you following the instructions? Are you fulfilling these commands? Because just like you can read the instructions on a packet, the question is, are you following those instructions? Often it is said, and I do this myself, I have a recipe, and I follow just the idea of the recipe. Always adding things or not using certain things. But are we reading? Are we following the instruction that is given to us? So the first thing Paul says, share to fulfill needs. Whose needs? The needs of the saints. The needs of the saints. I ask this question. Please don't raise your hand. Please don't answer. Answer it in your heart. Do you think you will be able to effectively meet the needs of everyone in this congregation? You might say no because you're thinking of your resources. Can I say or suggest your no shouldn't be thought of by your resources Sadly, your no is you do not know everyone's needs. Do we know one another well enough? Do we trust one another enough to share our need? To talk about our need? See, if we don't even know what the saints need, how will we contribute to the need? And it's two-way. If you have a need, you have to make that need known. And if you are able to fulfill such a need, then you too should fulfill that need. So it's a two-way street. No one can smell your need. You have to make that need known. Alright? So coming to this first point. I want to start by saying, the world is fixed on getting The pattern of the world is to just get or take. But as Christians, we need to be fixed on giving, fulfilling needs, providing. Paul reminds us that we need to be committed to giving to the needs of others. And so that's the key word, contributing. Contributing, key word. Directly translated from the Greek, it means communion, it means sharing, it means partnership, it means fellowship. So we can put it in this way, someone in the church doesn't have a meal for tonight. To go and serve a meal is great, it fulfills that need. But to go and share in that meal is greater. Because now you are fellowshipping, as directly translated from the Greek. Meet the need in fellowship. 
Provide through fellowship. It's very easy to come up with a parcel, drop it off. The Lord be with you, brother. And to go back to our comfort. In the early church, you would have people come in and you would share in their need. So what does it mean for us? It means as partners in the gospel, we are partners of one another. If someone has a need, we're partners. I need to fulfill that need with whatever resources I have that can fulfill that need. Now please don't use this as a guilt trip ticket next time someone wants to borrow something from you and you just want to say, no, 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 no. Um, but what I want to say is, if we have, we should be more than willing to let go. If we have in abundance, we should be more than willing to let go. Right? Amen? And we can agree to that. I grew up in a family where my mom would go and give beyond what we can give. Because the person's need is just so great. And my mom would know, we, we'll still eat well tonight. But this person doesn't just need for one meal. They need enough for a week. So she won't take out of the abundance. She would take from our need and provide in a limited sense. Let me just add that. Now, I'm not saying if you have two cans of baked beans, someone is hungry, you give them both. My dear friend, if you have the means to support yourself, you still need one can of baked beans to make it, to have the energy to support yourself. So discern in providing for needs. A simple practical way, especially with outsiders, is to not provide money or finances necessarily, but to provide to the actual need because the temptation can be to misuse that financial blessing. Well, I want to continue. I don't want to get sidetracked. But in just reading through various commentaries, MacArthur shares a testimony saying that he doesn't own anything. It belongs to the Lord. He manages it. But it belongs to the Lord. Now, and not shots at our brother who is faithfully serving the Lord and serving the Lord with his word. But I've often heard believers say this as well. Yet when you ask them, to, to borrow something that is a need to you, how quickly does that which they don't own belong to them? Friends, we need to be honest in what we are willing to share and how we are willing to meet the needs of those around us. If you possess something which is dear to you and you don't want anyone to use that without your supervision, friends, no one can take that away from you, alright? But if you see the need to serve someone, my dad used to say, when you borrow someone something, you must be willing to go without it. 
as if it doesn't have to come back. So it is a Christian duty for us to fulfill the needs of others. How we can and as best we can. Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 describes the early church believers selling their own belongings to provide the need for those in the church. They would go out and, and, and sell and bring back what they have made through these sales and give it to the church so that the church would distribute to the needs of those around them. We learn in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 16. It says, Do not neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You want to honor God? Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. James echoes the same truth. James tells us in James chapter 2 verse 14 through 17. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about after we are saved, we are doing God's works, good works. James says, if we don't see the evidence of your salvation in your works, then what salvation is there? So this is what he says. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled. And yet you, don't, you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Listen. Don't ease your heart or, or try and ease your conscience when you don't want to give something when someone asks for it and say these words. Well, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. It means nothing. It's just to clear your own conscience. If you can't give, you can't give. Alright? Let me just say that from the pulpit. If you cannot give, you cannot give. But if you can give and you don't want to give, and your heart is burning, your mind is telling you something, don't try and cover that. Don't try and numb that by saying, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. It means nothing. It means nothing. Alright, let's not play Christian because a faithful Christian, when he or she can, will provide to the needs of those who have made it aware. John adds the following, 1 John 3.17 But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother is in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's heavy. That's heavy. I want to encourage you and comfort you. You'll notice two things when you obey verse 13, the first section. You'll notice two things. First, you will be aware of the actual pressing necessities of those around you. 
You'll become aware to folks' needs when you obey this command. You'll realize how much someone really needs, how much you have and how much you can help. The second thing is you will become aware of how God supplies your own necessities. You'll notice how God supplies to your own necessities, especially as you minister to those around you. Now, it's not a thing of give and the Lord will give. Yes, in, in our faithfulness, I do believe that the Lord will reward our, our good works. But if we're giving for the reward of good works, it's no longer good works. It's selfishness. Let's just call it what it is. I'm sure many of you sitting here this morning can testify to these two things. That you have become aware of people's needs. You have become aware of how God supplies to your own need. So, it's like when the Holy Spirit took complete possession of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 45 to, 44 to 45. It says the following, And all believed, or all who believed, were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's no communism, okay? They were providing to each other's needs. They weren't making everyone equal in possession. They were providing for the need. That's the first way we faithfully meet the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters. It is by faithfully looking out for each other's needs. Make plans. Come up with something. Pray about it. There the Lord opened a door for us. There were men in the church who needed work. And by His, His providential wisdom, God opened a door for us to get those men work so that they can get money in their hands, so that they can get food on their tables. Praise God who provides for every need. So the second one, which is tied into this, is share in hospitality. Share in hospitality. This is one of those toe-stepping ones, okay? So don't be angry at the messenger. Verse 13, B, the second half. says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Literally translated, pursue the love of strangers. Pursue the love of strangers. Over and over again, the New Testament insists on a duty of an open door. <laughs> Imagine. An open door. You know, growing up in this beloved country, my folks, would, we would go to bed and wake up the next morning and literally still have an open door. Right? But that's not what this text is saying. It's not saying literally have the door open. But be willing to pursue the love of strangers. Hebrews 13 verse 2. 
says the following, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 8. This is a requirement of an elder. You must be hospitable. A stranger lover. I translate it. You must be a stranger lover. Now, 1 Peter 4, chapter, uh, 1 Peter 4 verse 9 steps it up a little bit. Okay? Listen to this. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So, so-and-so is coming over again? Or we're having people again? A meal again? Without grumbling. William Tyndale once said, A home can never be happy when it is selfish. A home can never be happy when it is selfish. So pursue the love of strangers and not reluctantly, not saying, Oh boy, again, we just had people. We just served people. We can't keep this up. Pursue hospitality. Share meals in your fellowship, alright? Don't be... Yes, and this, I've said this before. Um, never from the pulpit, but I want to say it from the pulpit. Don't be hindered by the presentation of your home. Okay? The preacher is saying this. Do not be hindered by the presentation of your home. Yeah, but it's messy. That's fine. It is called scruffy hospitality. And when you have kids, you probably have a clean home for 10 minutes, if that long. Friends, it's fine. Practice scruffy hospitality. You can have a clean home, but an untidy one. It's so possible, all right? Pursue the love of strangers. Because if we have to wait for a perfect home, we'll never have fellowship in our homes. So, in the early church, there was a great need to share in one another's burdens. Because remember, in the early church, there were, persecution was rife. People were constantly being chased out of their homes, out of their villages, so, yeah, you are homeless. You and your whole, whole family are homeless. So what do you do? You, you look for other believers. And when you come across them, this is what those believers did. They opened their homes, Lord willing, as First Peter reminded them, to do so without grumbling. They were constantly opening their home, sharing in meals. Friends, with, with COVID-19, we're back in a similar bracket where we need to carry one another's burden by opening our homes. 
This is what we're doing. Look at Second uh, Timothy one. Second Timothy one. Paul says, Lord, give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. And when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. Onesiphorus constantly opened his home to care for a burdened brother. What does it say there? It's very interesting that Paul, Paul adds this. He was not ashamed of my chain. Paul was imprisoned for the gospel. And Onesiphorus shared in that trial. Friends, we do more than what we think when we open the door to our homes. We're caring for people in a way that, that we didn't think would be effective. We're giving people the opportunity to be open about their burdens, be open about their joys. And we'll never share in that if we don't share our, our home. And that's just the second way we faithfully share in the needs of others, especially those around us, especially those in the church, is to practice hospitality. Now there's a third way we share and that is to share encouragement. Verse 14. Share encouragement. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I'm sure you've often read this verse and thought, but what does it mean? The original word bless is EU legeo. The EU is good. It's the same root word for, for Greek, the good news. Eugelion. The good news, right? Good. Plus the word logeo. It's a, it's a, the root word is logos, which means word. Literally, the verse says Good word. Good word. It means to speak good or well of someone. Alright? Not, not, not the, oh, bless you brother, bless you, bless you. It means to speak well of someone or to speak well to someone. So when Eugelion is used by man towards man, it means to speak well of with praise giving and thanksgiving. To say good or positive things. But Eugelion can be from man to God. It can be from, from man to man and from God to man. And so in other words, the world is going to respond to our goodness, I pray, with goodness. And so we as believers respond with lo love to those who hate us. And with goodness to those who do evil to us. We're showing off our difference. We're not like the world. We're proving our faithfulness by sharing encouragement, by sharing good word. 
And that's essentially behind the thought of this verse. We are to respond by wishing the ones who come out against us the best. We wish them the best. It's not like wishful thinking, but truly, go on and do your best. Blessing them, desiring them, that, that, or desiring that God would be good to them, that, that God would be gracious to them and merciful to them. This is what Jesus did on the cross when He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Good word. Stephen, the deacon, in Acts 7, verse 16, as they're stoning him, right? Lay not the sin to their charge. Good word. So here's the thing. The original language puts it, be constantly blessing those who are constantly persecuting you. So when you feel that person in the workplace, that family member, or whoever, whatever it is, that, that keeps, it feels like this unending poke to the heart and to that little string of, that, that holds your anger in place, right? feels like this unending drive. Be constantly blessing those who are constantly poking at you. Very interesting. The command therefore is that we, so far from, from wishing or praying that evil may overtake our persecutors and enemies, we sincerely desire and pray for their good. Pray for their salvation. Pray good word, right? The most powerful way was put of this was put in Jesus' own words according to Luke 6, verse 27 to 28. Jesus says what? Love your enemies. How? Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them. Despite how they are to you. Is that hard? By our own strength, it is impossible. Hear me. By your strength, this is impossible. It's impossible. But by the strength, the guidance, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we've already overcome. So we can fulfill this practice. But it's too hard. It's too hard. I'm going to say, kind of just combine two ideas. Be speaking good word without grumbling. <laughs> if we're always negative about something, it'll never change. That subject or that thing we're always negative about, it will remain negative in our hearts. And whoever serves in that capacity, works in that area, it'll be like, oh, you're one of them. Or, oh, you work there. Or you, you're just like so-and-so. Speak well of. And when you find something that you can approve of, say that to your persecutor. 
But our natural response, admit it, is, is not to bless or to speak good word, but to curse. Amen? It is to curse. Let's call it traffic persecution. Have you ever had traffic persecution? Traffic persecution is when you're driving and someone cuts you off or stops right in front of you. Or when the light goes red, they still cross, regardless. Traffic persecution. We had it this morning coming to church. Just by the way, if the light turns green, unless there's an arrow, it means the person turning doesn't have right of way. Don't do that. Bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. And that's just one of the ways. I'm sure we can think of numerous places, spaces, and people. Bless and do not curse. That's the third way of sharing. Sharing encouragement. Sharing good word. Especially to those who wish to injure us. Share good word. But there's a final word here. And this will bring us into our conclusion. Share in joy and sorrow. Share in joy and in sorrow. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This tells us, firstly, to enjoy someone else's joy. Enjoy someone else's joy. That's the absence of jealousy, okay? This is an encouraging evidence of someone who is a faithful believer. They take pleasure in your joy. The opposite of this is described by Proverbs 17.5. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Yet a true believer, regardless of how you feel, is able to rejoice with someone who is experiencing joy. To be blessed in someone else's blessing. Just by the way, this is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Joy. So we can say that the only way for a believer to give verbal expression of that joy is by continually being filled with the Spirit and not acting according to the desires of our flesh. Because we can so easily look at our own situation and say, but I want that. I'm not happy that you have that. I want that. Paul says rejoice in someone else's joy. Take pleasure in their reward. Furthermore, this truth is stretched in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So it is specifically Christian to rejoice at someone else's joy. Now, some would argue and say that this is harder than sympathizing for someone 
who is weeping. Others would say it's the other way around. It's harder to be sympathetic than to rejoice with someone else's joy. Regardless, Paul says, weep with them that weep. Because the Greek form of this word translates to shed tears. Shed tears with those who shed tears. So practice on command how to cry, okay? Seriously though, to shed tears with those who shed tears. Here's the deal though. Our sympathy is limited. Would you agree? Our sympathy towards one another is limited. Because even though we might have experienced the same heartache or trial or tragedy, to attain or to a point, our hearts would say, well, I've had enough of this person. I've been through that. I'm fine. Our sympathy is limited because it's corrupted by sin. But you know who sympathy is not limited? Christ. And do you know why? Christ never not once gave in to sin. Therefore, His sympathy is true. It is sincere. He knows our hurt, man. He knows our hurt. That's why He is the sympathetic high priest. And so, as believers, we have to be marked by being sensitive to those around us. To not get annoyed at the weeping. <laughs> yeah, but you've been crying about this for weeks. Shed tears. Shed tears. If someone has a cause for rejoicing, then let's enter into that rejoicing. Say, but why? Because if we love our brothers and sisters, then we'll celebrate their blessing. And it's not just a laugh or a smile. It's to respect their blessing or their good cheer. To honor it. We are also to understand sorrow. Warren Wearsby said, Christian fellowship is much more than a pat on the back, on the, on the back or a handshake. It means sharing the burdens and blessings of others so that we all grow together and glorify the Lord. If Christians cannot get along with one another, then how will we face our persecutor according to the previous command? If we're not even sharing in each other's joys and sorrows, then how are we going to stand together? doesn't make sense. And so I want to encourage us this morning. Take heart. A sorrow shared is but half a trouble. A joy that is shared is a joy made double. So we've looked at four ways a faithful believer shares in the life of others. 
First, practically to look out for one another's needs, to provide for literally what they need. Second, it's to love them through sharing your home, meaning to always be willing to, to open the door, not to entertain. Please, if you come knocking on my door and I need to keep you busy, friends, it's going to be very hard to love you. It's not to entertain one another. It is to care for one another. And I find it very hard to care for someone's boredom. <laughs> All right? To open the door and provide care for those who are knocking. Amen? Thirdly, when we are pursued by someone who wants to cause us harm, is to return that with blessing, with, with a good word. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Don't make the situation worse. Finally, share in the joys and sorrows of your fellow brothers and sisters. Be true to their circumstances and carry the load together. Alright? But listen up. On that note, no one can sense your trouble, your grief, your sorrow. You have to make that known. Even your need, physical need, you have to make that known. In order for folks to effectively serve you, to effectively be there for you. Don't wait for someone to reach out. Make your need known. And in that, both you and the people who will honor you reaching out will be effective in the serving of one another. Let's give thanks for this word and pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for this, this morning's word. And though being heavy and, and being encouraging, we ask that your spirit would help us just balance Balance our heart's response to the good word and also to the word that, that has rebuked us. I pray that we would be faithful in our response to this word. That, we would, that you would work in our hearts, Lord, um, and to be more willing to serve our fellow members, to have them over, to take the initiative to share meals so that we can get to know one another better. To be the ones who reach out first, who pick up the phone first. I pray that you would work this work in our hearts, Lord. And that our minds would just be actively aware of this task. And therefore we give thanks and we pray for your grace in your name. Amen.